Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Psalms chapter number 12. The Bible says in verse number 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Well, what does he keep them? Keeping. Verse number six. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Every time God's words put to the test, it just gets purer and purer and purer. But we have a couple of truths in verse number seven when it says from this generation. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. From this generation, God gave his word. And basically throughout all eternity, he is going to preserve his word. It's not based on anything else, but God's promise to preserve it. And also, are, did you and I need to get saved from our sins? Were we sinners? We were. God saved us. Does God keep us? Does God preserve us? He does. We can't lose our salvation. We're kept and preserved by God. Well, do you know corrupt men will handle God's word? Anybody that's going to translate the Bible, as soon as they put their hand to trying to do anything with it, it's, it's not like the power is in them. God said he would preserve his word no matter who handles it, no matter what hands it comes in contact with. Whoever, no matter who has been entrusted with the translation, God said he would preserve it. So I want you to think about this from this generation from two perspectives. One, from the fact that throughout generation, uh, all these generations that passed over time, none of them were going to allow God's word to pass away because God said he would preserve it. He says that he will keep them. God is absolutely, we all know this, more powerful than sinful men, and he's not going to allow anybody to corrupt his word. In the same way, our souls have been made pure only by Jesus Christ, only by the blood of Christ, are our sins washed away. No matter what happens, God said that he would keep his word. Now, what's more important if we were to think about it from another angle? Us <laughs> or his word? If we can get a if we can get a hold of that, well, wait a minute. God's going to keep me. He's going to preserve me. I'm a sinner. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. He saved my soul. Yet he's going to let his word pass away. No way. His word is so much more pure and higher. And if he promised to keep it, so many people today have trouble believing that they can actually hold in their hand the word of God and read it for themselves and believe it because we are so used to this mindset of, well, men did this and men did that. And men, wait a minute. I did sinful things. You did sinful things. You messed up. I messed up. We all messed up. And God saved us. Well, wait a minute. I don't think God can keep him. Sure he can. It's called eternal security, not the purpose of the message, but just to tie into the fact that God said he would preserve his word. If he's going to preserve our soul, he's going to certainly 
preserve his word. Now, Proverbs 30, another simple passage of scripture. Proverbs 30. Every word, verse 5, Proverbs 30, verse 5, is, uh, I'm sorry, that would be, that would be heresy, right? If you read it, every word is pure. <laughs> but every word of God is pure. He is a, is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. What have you trusted in? What have you placed your faith and what have you placed your trust in? Have you placed it in the shed blood of Jesus Christ? God manifest in the body of flesh. If you have, you're saved. And he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Just like every word. It says it right here. Every word. How do we measure truth? It's real simple. Proverbs 30 verse 5 is basically the ruler that God has given us. For us to determine what is true and what is not true. What's the ruler? Every word. How do you determine what is true and what is not true? You got to go to the Bible. Go to the Bible. You all know where that leads. How about Psalms 19? Psalms 19. Verse number 7. The law of the Lord. Was perfect. Is that what it says? <laughs> because if it said the law of the Lord was perfect. That means now maybe it isn't perfect. Maybe it was at a certain time. But now that corrupt men have handled it. Now that sin has entered into the world. Now that all this stuff has happened. Well it certainly can't be. Except that's not what it says. It doesn't say was. It says the law of the Lord. Is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It doesn't say was sure. Making wise the simple. Well, if it was sure, it could have made the wise it could have made the wise simple and all that. But you know, that is not what the Bible says. This is why it is important that we have all of the words, because that is our measuring stick, that is our ruler. Where we can measure truth. We pre um, we did on Thursday, Matthew 24. So we're not going to rehash that. But it says heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. People deal so much in the physical. And we talked about how it was so much easier to believe. That we can hold in our hand the Bible. Then it would be some of these doctrines that we hold to, that we believe, that we that we put our faith and trust in, that we would all agree that are so essential to the faith. A virgin birth? Whoever heard of that? Come on, who believes that? Christians? Wait, God came, you're telling me God came down here, the creator, three and a half years and then died on a cross? He gave up the ghost? And then he went to heaven on his, and see his right hand of the Father. And he, he rose himself from the grave. Wait a minute. That's got to be a fairy tale. No, it's not. It's true. It's real. Christians believe that. It's fundamental to our faith. Matter of fact, if, if a church doesn't hold to those doctrines, they're not a church. 
there would be a false outfit, a false group, a false. And I can go on and on with three or four or five other things that we hold as essential to the Christian faith. Yet so many Christians nowadays have trouble believing that God would preserve his word. And well, it's just the best we got. I mean, we'll just take it as far as the translators can take it. But you know what? Come on. God said he'd preserve it. I believe it. I believe it. Second Timothy chapter three. Well, it's really just a translation. Second Timothy chapter number three. Let's grab that. After all, nothing can be as good as the originals. All we have, the best that we have is an original. I'm glad I don't have my original self. God saved me. He saved my soul. He preserved my soul. And as a result of my salvation, I am better off than when I started. Because God was in it. Second Timothy chapter number three. Look at verse. 16. Let's look at that first. All scripture is given. By inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Again, let me point out the same word I pointed out before. The word is. All scripture was given or is given. Look at the middle of the verse. And was profitable. You know, when they have the originals, you know, when you could. No, it is profitable. Present tense. It's not something in the past, but all we have is a translation. It's just not as good as the original. Okay, then ask, answer me this question. In verse number 16, where is this scripture that I can hold? Where is this, where is this scripture that I can um, get doctrine from? Tell me, where is this scripture that I can be corrected from? Where is this scripture that I can be instructed in righteousness, where is this scripture that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works? Where is it? Well, it's back in the past. It's in the originals. And the best that we have is, well, how is that going to make me truly perfect unto all, unto all good works? I got it. I can hold it in my hand. I can read it. I can believe it. Look at verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. If all we have is, well, it's just a translation, then we don't have the scriptures. And you tell me, what was Timothy getting truth from? Did he have, did Timothy have the holy scriptures? It says, and from and that from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Did he have the original autographs? Timothy didn't. So what's he got? Just the translation? I don't think so. Was Timothy holding in his hand tables of stone? <laughs> no. But you know what he had? He had the Scriptures. He had God's inspired word that he can hold in his hand. But he, he didn't have tables of stone he was holding in his hand. We all know what happened to them. 
Let me read you a little bit of history. The original only doctrine, it started way, way long ago. Here's what church historian Philip Schaeff said in his book entitled, A General Introduction to the Study of Theology. And he states on page 393, here's what Philip Schaeff states. The distinction between inerrant autographs and errant copies seems to have been first made by Richard Simon. Now, Richard Simon lived from 1638 to 1712. And he was the father of what is called biblical isagogic, which is isagogic is basically the study of the Bible or the study of the literacy of the Bible. So this guy, Richard Simon, was the father of that. And his goal, he says, was to prove the necessity of textual criticism. Textual criticism basically is you read the text and you criticize it. Here, it should be flipped around the other way. You read the text and the text criticizes you. Welcome to modern Christianity, right? We just find something we don't like and change it. And that's basically, without going into a whole lesson on it, is what textual criticism is. Richard Simon was a French Catholic priest. Whoa, no surprise there. And he argued against, guess what? The authority of the Bible. And in 1682, he published a book arguing against the Bible's authority in his book, A Critical History of the Old Testament, published in 1682. Why? What was his motive? He didn't just want to prove the need for textual criticism. He argued that the originals were by God. Changes by men over time were needed and valid. But what happened is error crept in over time. Because of sinful men. His motive or his basic underlying belief is that inspiration, God's preservation of his word, God inspiring his word is not something that is intrinsic in God's word. Remember what I told you he was? A French Catholic priest. So I said all of that. Or he said all of that. I'm just regurgitating to you what I've studied. He said all of that to make the argument that the Bible will not be the final authority for the Roman Catholic Church. So all these modern versions, all this textual criticism, you know where it started from and you know where it came from? A French Roman Catholic priest. And we have preachers today that are so convoluted, they're so confused, they've read so much that they've read themselves into confusion 
and they go to the Bible and correct it and change it and amend it just like a textual critic is supposed to. But that's not what we do as Bible believers. We read God's word and we let it hand us some changing and amending and correcting. Right. Amen. Amen. This view was never accepted by the Protestants at that time. It was rejected and it was ignored. We can learn a lot from history. Now, why do we have, well, the originals, we can, we could trust that, but now all we have is a translation. In other words, there's an errancy meaning no error, inerrancy. There's there's inerrancy in the original autographs. It's a safe doctrine. You know why it's a safe doctrine? What are we going to go down to the to the courthouse and examine them for ourselves? Where do we go down to a museum and say, oh, hey, yeah, we're here from Pilgrim Baptist Church. We're here to look at the original autographs. <laughs> They're not going to be able to show you nothing. You know why it also you know why else it's a very safe doctrine? If God's word truly is only preserved in the originals and nobody has access to it, then ultimately there's nothing that we can go to to determine whether or not we have truth. We're only confined to truth in the originals, yet we can't get to the originals. And so what do we do? Well, we do what has happened to Americanized Christianity. You can buy your version. 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 I'll preach out of another version and we'll all go home just better for it. Not not going to happen. Now, you see how that becomes a safe doctrine. Here's what you'll read a lot on doctrinal statements. You'll read this on church websites more now because of the Internet where everything is saved electronically rather than paper form. But I do read a lot of doctrinal statements and I would encourage you to do the same thing. Some of them say too much. Some of them say too little. Both of them say too much for a reason. Uh, the ones that say too much do it for a reason and the ones that hardly say anything do it for a reason. We've talked about this before. Sometimes it's not what you say, it's what you don't say. And the problem we have in churches today as a general rule, not as the whole to the rule, but as a general rule, because there's certainly Bible-believing churches around, is we're purposely leaving out truth so as not to offend. We're just looking to gain everybody that we can. Now, they might not know anything about the Bible, but at least we got a lot of people and they're purposely leaving out doctrine so that nobody fights about doctrine. Well, I believe this about end times. You believe this about end times. You believe this about end times. You believe this about end times. Well, I'm the preacher. Guess what we're not talking about today, folks? End times. <laughs> Why? Because we're going to have five people fighting with each other. So instead, we'll just talk about how in the end, we'll all be with Jesus. Oh, and that sounds sweet. Yeah. And we can just give so many examples. But 
Here's what you'll read. People will say, we believe the Bible to be the word of God. As far as it is translated correctly. Well, what does that mean? It means they're being vague about what they believe is translated correctly. Well, the verses that I read you, are they translated correctly? Yes. Okay, great. No. Well, then what do we believe? Well, they're kind of all the same and we get the idea. Do you see how convoluted and confused it gets? We believe the Bible to be the inerrant word of God in the original writings. Well, that's convenient because what do you got? What do you got? Them all? You got them stored in a U-Haul in the back or something? As far as it is translated correctly. In the originals, that tells me you're not putting your stamp of approval on anything. And because the originals don't exist. That can either be a hard pill to swallow or an easy pill to swallow. If you don't have the original writings, you can't use them for a basis of teaching. And if you don't have the originals, how do you know that what you got is perfect and in agreement with the originals? We got a problem, don't we? Except we don't. Paul wrote at least 13 books of the Bible. Is your faith and trust in Paul? No, mine isn't. Right here with us and we said, Paul, can you just rewrite what you wrote? Paul would probably tell us, no. <laughs> Why? Paul would say, because I didn't write them. <laughs> God inspired. God led. God is the author and God used Paul. Well, I'm going to go out and save souls. I'm going to go and win souls. No, you're not. God's going to win them. God's going to save them. And God's going to just use you as a vessel. Is that soul saved? Yeah. Well, I saved that soul. No, you didn't. You're as wretched and as sinful. And you probably botched the gospel presentation. It's just that we think we are going to save somebody. And we're not. And we're not going to put our faith and trust in men to preserve God's word. If God can use us. As a vessel to give the gospel to somebody else and God will save that soul. Why can't God use Paul or why can't God use anybody else to preserve his word? We're not putting our faith in those men. We're putting our faith and trust in the living God. We believe in the words of the Lord, not the words of Paul. I don't have a problem that Paul penned. Books in the Bible. I don't have a problem if something was lost or destroyed. God's the author. He promised to preserve his word. And guess what? He can order a replacement part. And it will be just fine. We're going to look at that in a minute. And God is capable of preserving his word. Even after the originals have been long, long gone. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. God gives. Well, commandment after commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods. Verse three. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Verse four. 
we, we see all the commandments and, and the 10th commandment ends in verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Shall not covet thy neighbor's wife. Nor is man servant, nor is maid servant, nor is ox, nor is ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And he goes on. Commandment after commandment. Go back. You can go flip through chapter 21. Flip to chapter 22. If a man steal an ox or a sheep or kill or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for an ox. And God goes on. Go flip over to chapter 23. Look at verse tw Look at verse 2. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Gives all these commands. Look at chapter 24. All these commands God gives. Through all of these chapters. And now go to Exodus chapter 31. Keep clipping. All these commandments God gives. 31 verse 18. And he gave. Exodus 31 verse 18 and he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony tables of stone written with the finger of God. Moses didn't write it. God's finger is doing the writing. And when it's done, guess what Moses has? In his hands, the originals. Wouldn't you like to have been there? You read some of these passages in scripture and some of them through Chronicles, and, and you know, you just want to get through it <laughs> for your daily Bible reading. But some of them you read and you just put yourself in the story and you're like, man, I wish I was on that on the earth at that time. That would have been neat. The originals right there. See? That's pretty cool. Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32. Look at verse number 15. Exodus 32 verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mount. And the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side, on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God. It wasn't the work of Moses or the writing of Moses. Graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh to the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mounts. Gone. The originals broken. I guess we're all sunk. Because we can only believe the Bible as far as the originals are translated correctly. Well, I got news for you. They're not there anymore because of good old Moses. And the people were singing and the people were doing all that they were doing. And Moses' anger waxed hot. And we put ourselves back in that time. Man, that's great. We got the originals and they still blew it. They still blew it. 
gone. They're already abandoning God. Moses, the only one that saw them. And now those tables are broken. The originals are destroyed. Oh, no. You think God's thinking, oh, no. He sent a text message to Moses. What am I going to do now, Moses? Nope, that's not what God did. He said, I got a better idea. Go to chapter 34. Here's what he didn't say. I got a better idea. That's what I said. But watch what he said. Watch what the Lord said. Exodus chapter 34, verse number one. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. Moses, it's time for us to do a redo. Go to Exodus chapter 35. Watch what happens here. By the time we get to Exodus 35, verse number one, watch what Moses says. And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded, as long as they are translated correctly, <laughs> as far as the originals say. No, he doesn't say that. These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. No originals, no problem for God. It was a copy. God did a redo. God did a copy. And you know what it was? It was just as absolutely pure as the first. God can inspire a copy as well as he can inspire an original. Because he, is, he has inspired and preserved his words. He never tells us you can only trust an original. He never tells us you can't trust a copy or a translation. God copied. He did a redo. And his second copy was just as pure as his first. Why? Because we are trusting God. We're not trusting men. We're not trusting Moses. Go to Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. Look at verse number one. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. That's a pretty strong, tough name. Anybody searching for names? Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. These first two verses here, God is, the, the Lord says, I want you to write words down in a book. That's the whole gist of verses one and two. Write words down. Okay. Look at, uh, go all the way down. I want to read all of it, but we'll go to verse number 20. Watch this. Jeremiah 36, verse 20. And they went in to the king and to the court. But they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe and told all the words in the ears of the king. 
So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out to Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it, and Jehudai read it in the ears of the king, and then the ears of the princes, which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife and cast it in the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. You know what happened? He destroyed all the roll. All of the words of God were destroyed, cut up, and burnt. Originals, where are they? Uh, they would be smoke and ashes. That's what they are. Gone. Everybody see that? Roll's gone. Go down to verse 27. Watch what God God says, I got a better idea again. Watch this. This is good. Watch what God tells Jeremiah. Verse number 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After that, the king had burned the roll. And the words which Barak wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah saying, Take thee again another roll. Let me, let me stop right there. God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah's got Barak. Well, it's going to be lost in the, in the sinful men line there. It's going to be lost if men touch. No, God's preserving it. He's going to tell Jeremiah, Barak is going to write. Barak's going to scribe it at the mouth of Jeremiah. You still think we're all right? You still think God's all right? He is. Because we're not touch, trusting Barak or Jeremiah. We're trusting the Lord. Now watch. Take thee again another roll. Verse 28. Here's God's better idea. It's all burnt up, guys. I don't know what to do. No. Take thee again another roll and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, thou hast burned this roll, saying, why hast thou written therein saying the king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land and shall cause cease from thence man and beast. Get another roll, get out a pen and we're doing a redo fellas. Cause God said he would preserve his word and it doesn't matter if somebody comes and breaks it. It doesn't matter if somebody comes and cuts it up. It doesn't matter if somebody throws it in a, in a fire and burns it. It doesn't matter if all the pages fall out of your Bible. God promised he would preserve it. And these guys that want to try to figure out every answer to get out of the fact they just don't want to submit to an authority. They're just wrong. And they need they need to be corrected and amended change. They don't they need to quit changing the Bible. Look at verse 32. This is pretty good at the end of the chapter. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Barak the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book 
which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. Now, there's a lot here. You got something that was burned by King Jehoiakim. You got the Lord using Jeremiah, but then Jeremiah gives stuff to Barak, who's the son of Neriah, who I'm sure was a sinner as well. And you got all these moving parts that if you had trust in any of them, about the only thing you can trust about these men is Jehoiakim would just go ahead and ruin God's word. But as far as the preservation of it, you couldn't trust any of these men, Jeremiah or Barak or Neriah, any of them. A lot of moving parts, but it isn't a problem for God because we're trusting God. People don't want to go to church. Well, you know, there's Christians that, uh, you know, hurt me at church before. Well, get used to it. There's Christians that hurt me at church. Well, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to live for the Lord because I knew somebody who was supposed to be a Christian and they lived wicked. And it's just a bad testimony. Oh, it is. But why is it stopping you? I'll tell you why it stops you. Because you got your eyes on sinful men. We got to get our eyes off of sinful men and get our eyes on the Lord. Last of the verse, this is what I wanted to point out. This is so what I love about God. One of the, one of the things he says. And there were added besides unto them many like words. Which means we got some more originals of the many like words when this happens. Which means we also don't have those originals to hold in our hand either. Which means if we're only trusting in the originals, where does it leave us? We're not trusting in originals. We're trusting in God's promise to preserve. It's not a problem for God. It only becomes a problem if it's man's word. So when the NIV translators form a little committee or a group and get everybody's stamp of approval on it, and they all meet once a year to discuss things. It doesn't make it any more scholarly, theological, or biblical. It makes it a group of men that are gathering together once a year as Bible rejectors. That's what it makes it. And we need to quit it with this stuff. Now, I know they're not going to quit it, and I don't mean we meaning here. I mean we as Christians all over the world. We need to quit with this correcting God's word. None of us have seen the originals here. Let's look at one more verse and we'll be done. Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. Let's go to the end of the chapter. Let's go to verse number 59. The words which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, which he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, into Babylon, the fourth year of his reign. And this Sarah was a quiet prince. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come upon Babylon. Even all these words that are written against Babylon. Verse 61 in Jeremiah 51. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when thou comest to Babylon and shall see and shall read all these words, thou shall, then shall thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. 
and it shall be when thou hast made an end of reading this book that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates. And thou shalt say, thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. He adds additional material. He reads them to Babylon. And then he says, after you do that, destroy it. God tells Jeremiah to destroy his word by throwing it in the midst of the Euphrates. Get rid of it. You think it's a problem for God? It isn't. Because he said he would preserve his word. And it doesn't matter if it's thrown in the midst of the Euphrates. It doesn't matter if someone breaks tables of stone. Doesn't matter if somebody cuts it up. Doesn't matter if somebody burns it. I mean, we can take a diving trip and go out to the Euphrates and try and find it, but we're not going to be any better off. We've got it in our hand and can hold it and read it. Verse number 60, watch what it says. So Jeremiah wrote in a book, all the evil that should come upon Babylon, even all these words that are written against Babylon. We've got the words. We've got the words that were rolled up, burned, and thrown in the fire. we got the words that were thrown in a river. We got the words that were broken on the table of stone. And I'm telling you, God doesn't need to preserve an original autograph. God doesn't need to preserve an original manuscript. He said he would preserve his words. And our faith and our trust is in that promise. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.